Hello and welcome to this week's Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. I am joined today by Algie Hall. How are you doing, Algie? Hi, very well, thanks, John. Excellent. And uh, Nilushi Karuna Ratney for the first time. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Excellent. You've been with with us for a while, but uh, first time on the podcast. Yes. It's very exciting. Very exciting. You've written the cover feature this week, which is about energy uh, and essentially the UK's generating mix and, and, and what's happening there and how investors can play that. And it's, it's a fantastic feature that really talks us through exactly where we are, where we've been, where we are and where we're going with this and lots of actionable stuff in there for investors. So we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, and Algie, we're going to talk about your stock screen this week. Yes, which yes. Is, uh, Small cap, high yield shares. Small cap. Should we start with that? Small cap, okay. high yield. It sounds, very, it sounds very exciting. <laughs> and in fact, and in fact, it is... Well, it, An incredibly good performing stock screen. Yeah, no, it's um, it's outperformed um, the indexes I I, I kind of take the stocks from uh, every year since um, I started covering it seven years ago. Probably the only the only one. I mean, oh, I mean, your stock screens often do well, but, 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 they, but they always have yeah, those blips. Yeah, and, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Well, you know, it's a, it's a screen. It's kind of they're quite rough and ready by nature. So. Um, you kind of don't expect them to just outperform, outperform, outperform. But this one has. And so, um, yeah, and anyway, I, I, I do what I always do in this situation. I caution that people should expect it to end. You suggest it's an, an anomaly. <laughs> an anomaly. And not an infallible yeah. strategy. <laughs> yes, indeed. But why do, you, why, do you think, why do you think this has been such a, a strong performer? Well, I mean, the, the, the small cap yields, high yield small caps, I should say, they are interesting because um, if you pick them right, you're picking kind of, you know, growth companies as well as high yielding um, shares. So you, you have a yield which grows. What the screen looks for is really quite basic in terms of, um, you know, indicators that these are shares which have a growing uh, yield on them. It kind of looks for historic growth, forecast growth, then like, uh, you know, some kind of safety measures like um, good interest cover and good dividend cover. Mm, and I've actually heard, I mean, a lot of sort of income managers who are interested in income growth rather than you know, just high income. I mean, they're often prepared to accept quite a low yield if they think it's going to grow, a low yes, dividend if they think yeah. it's going to grow. But these, I mean, these numbers here in the, in the uh, 2019 well, selection, they're, they're, they're pretty chunky yield. Yes, yeah. No, and then um, what this screen does, it looks for um, a yield in the top third of all yielding shares screened. So it's not, you know, it's, it's not shy about trying to pick out a high yield. And I, I mean, I... But we my, do what we do worry about high yield sometimes. Yeah, no. And my assumption with the screen was, um, you know, when I originally came up with it, my concern is that you know the yield was too high that mm. that, um, that it was looking for. But um, so far, it hasn't proven the case. And um, also, I mean, with small caps, you do get companies which just are overlooked. And um, I mean, so, some of the companies highlighted this year, especially the one, the three passing all of the tests. Companies which kind of, you know, just, you know, get on with their business. They're not, they, they are producing growth, but it's not the kind of super exciting growth that um, small cap investors tend to get obsessed with and, you know, end up pumping the shares to the sky kind of thing. These, these are companies producing, you know, decent growth. There's uncertainty in their outlook. You know, they're real kind of trading businesses, but um, they've got good consistent rec- records. Mm. I mean, the, the, the one that, uh, that tops the list... I've never heard of before, <laughs> and I, you know, I feel I, 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 well, I edit this. I edit the Investors Chronicle. And I've never heard of this company. I, I, this, it, this sounds it used appalling. To be called Martin and Co. And that's ah, heard, uh, okay, that's why I haven't heard of it. That's why and I haven't so heard of it. They've bought other franchises. Martin Co. is still by far its biggest um, franchise. Mm. They they bought um, other um, 
estate agency franchises over the year, and they they're a group of different brands which they franchise, including um, they've got an online brand, an internet brand, a hybrid brand as they call it, called You Move, but it's not spelled Y O U, it's spelled U as in a sheep, as in a sheep, a female sheep, E W E. I don't know why, but um, anyway, apparently this is a this is quite a successful brand, scores very well um in terms of customer satisfaction, actually kind of tops some. Um, some of the polls, the trust pilot poll. Okay, so I mean, the company is actually now called the Property Franchise Group. It, yes, the Property Franchise Group. It's, um, and it, I mean, it's teeny. It's thirty nine million, but it's got a very, it's got an exceptional record for um, uh, dividend growth, and all, and it's also accompanied by really good um, cash conversion. As you'd expect with a franchise, you know, franchises are great for converting cash generally. Is it is it general estate agency or is it focused on any particular lettings. aspect? It's lettings. lettings. lettings so, yeah, good. The, the more kind of def- dependable part of um, that market. So it's about 70% lettings. But then there's, I mean, there's so much regulation which has come and is coming down the pipes and also potentially more depending on the outcome of um, the election. But um, mm, We'll come on to that when we talk about power. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, they, but you know, they, so, um, you know they, there's just that big risk of, you know, no one quite knows the future, but people are still going to need to um, let properties. And actually, it, because they offer a managed service, they're actually providing um, a service, service which in some ways gets more valuable, the more regulation there is, because landlords actually need a professional management service. They can't, you know, get away with doing it themselves so easily without taking on a lot more risk of um, making a slip up and um, ending up out, ending up seriously out of pocket. Yeah, I mean, it's become much more difficult to be a, a, a private buy-to-let landlord. Yes. And it, it's yeah. health and safety, a lot of the stuff. That yeah, they yeah, exactly. I mean, there are things like, you know, boiler checks and, you know, things things like that. If you don't do it right and have the right paperwork, you can, um, uh, you know, you, you, you can suffer really quite harsh consequences as a, as a landlord. So, so what are the financial characteristics of this business that, that, that has seen it top this screen? Um, it's had great dividend growth. So it's listed um, in 2014 with a paying 4p, is a div- fully a dividend. And last year it paid 8.4p. It upped um, the interim dividend by 6%. So it's got that consistency of dividend growth. Um, and then it's... Cover looks good. Cover, cover looks good. It's always looked good. And um, it kind of converts... Um, it, it tends to generate more cash than it does profit each year, which is a you know a fantastic characteristic for a business. It's kind of you know that when you have a business which is trading at quite a low P like this one is, so this is a, a, a ten times, but you've actually got free cash flow coming in most years ahead of ahead of earnings. Then yeah, you know there's actually a um, value there which you don't see from looking at those earning numbers potentially. Um, and then, then also, um, because it doesn't really have to invest very much to expand, because it's um, because the franchisees put in the money to you know run the actual estate agency. Presumably, this it helps. Has, this is what helps the cash profile. That though. helps, yeah. That helps the cash profile, and it means it's got a very high return on capital employed. Um, but then, I mean, it's got all you know all these um, regulatory um, pressures. Also, you know, the sale the transaction market isn't so good. So yeah, and there's, you know, I mean, there's obviously lots of trends around the the, the kind of shift from ownership to renting, which we've seen. Mm-hmm. See, it's quite strong. Uh, you know, ownership has peaked and and actually is yeah. declining. So more people are renting. Yeah, but and, and then as as that happens, you know, renting a property becomes uh, you know it becomes more work, more professionalised, but. You know, this this could be good. 
it, but it's also you know it's also a risk. It's one of those things you don't you don't quite know. And with small companies also, it, the future is always uncertain because it doesn't take much to go wrong for yeah. them to have a terrible year. Politicians don't like landlords either very much. They don't. But they are a soft target. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, where's the growth coming from? Uh, and I think there's something you look at towards the end of the piece. Um, yes, no, the financial the, services. I mean, they, yeah. So the the core business. You know, they're, they're, they're basically trying to mitigate most of the regulation, but they've, um, the growth is coming from online and then also the potential to um, launch financial services, which they've got an announcement about. Um, I, I think they've said the beginning of next year. And what's, they're what? planning to have an announcement. So they're, 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 the idea is at the moment they don't really incentivize their agents to um, sell financial services. And a lot of agents sell a lot of financial services. And make a lot of money from it, but um, so they they think they found a um, a kind of partnership ish. I, I don't know if it is an actual partnership, but it, an arrangement with someone who's providing that kind of financial advice, which would allow um, their agents to share in the reward of selling those services. Makes sense. And um, yeah, and that could be you know a great addition for a company which generates one percent of revenue from financial services to make it become something you know fairly substantial through a very capital light. Um, uh, you know, way of rolling the service out. I mean, it, you know, that that's great when you've got challenges in the main market. Yeah, a really interesting company. It is, it really is interesting. interesting um, and yeah, it's in like, but I mean, it's yeah, teeny thirty nine million. Who's going to look at it really? You have. <laughs> I have this week because of this stock. Hooray! <laughs> I, th- I mean, there are some other interesting companies on this list. I go. I mean, just outside the top three. Uh, read the magazine. See what the other two are. You've got shoes. <laughs> shoes, which I've I know. Ooh, <laughs> ooh. But, but it's, I mean, it's kind of a well-run company. I mean, this is a company run for you know for the dividends in in many ways. It's kind of, um, it's okay. I mean, it yeah, it kind of knows what it's doing in terms of um, taking on short leases and selling cheap shoes. Is trading tends to be choppy. Samara Enterprises on there. I've had a bit, um, that, had a bit of trouble recently. Yeah, it has it really has. But it's a good business. It it's is fundamentally a good business. But it's but very cyclical. cyclical. Don't yeah. trust that yield. I'd say though. And Character Group just lost um, Pepper Pig. Oh no, it hasn't lost Pepper Pig, but it may lose Pepper. Yeah, this is the, uh, the Hasbro has taken over Entertainment One. Okay? Yeah, and um, they make Pepper Pig toys. Oh dear. Or it was for Entertainment One. Is this the year, Algie, when, when small cap high yield comes across? Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely looking at some of these ones. MC Saatchi, accounting issues. Um, what else? There are few S3, others. a recruiter. S3, yeah. I mean, Recru- well, how do you think of recruiters, Lucy? Well, I cover the recruiters and they've been taking quite a hammering. <laughs> <laughs> it could be the bottom. Well, but, it could um, be the bottom. I mean, this is the, the whole Brexit thing. Well, yeah, no, you know, totally. It, it, uncertainty, you know, that's that's... Lead, seeing companies delay recruitment or delay investment, you know, yeah. we we could be it could be the worst behind us now. You're you're seeing it across a lot of industries. Actually, they're kind of waiting to see whether that relief will come. If you know, if a solution mm-hmm. eventually comes along, it could unlock and unleash a lot of growth for these companies. It's kind mm. of being held back. Fingers crossed, though. <laughs> oh, well, well, I, th- I think you know what happens in the election is obviously uh, going to have a huge impact yeah. on whether this this potential is unleashed. But yeah. I must admit, I've not been paying the election a huge amount of attention. <laughs> Good for you. I'm so bored with politics. I really am. As I mentioned in my, my editorial this week. Yeah, I mean, and last year, I mean, it was a fu- there's some funny old companies in this. There, there is one here that I, I have never got my head around. Best of the best. Oh, yeah, I know. Have you ever seen this? I've never seen it. No. You, you have. If you've ever been yeah. to an airport, you'll see like some high performance car there. 
Oh, and, I know what it is. And you can enter a competition to win this car. <laughs> I, every, and it's an incredibly brilliantly performing company. It's, yeah, very, very unpredictable in terms of when you look at the business and try and figure out how, you know, how, you know, how, how people are forecasting for, you know, what, what it's kind of based on. But it, yeah, it kind of comes around year and, um, you know, year on year and pay, you know, pays quite a handsome dividend. Mm. Actually, I don't, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know what dividends it paid last year. But I'm just looking at its performance. You know, did a total return of twenty two percent over the twelve months. And property franchise group up there as well. Yeah, no, no, one of the best performer performers from last year. And then I mean, yeah, you know, you know, you've got you've got lots of kind of you know cyclicals in there, which um, you know, think, things like Billing, uh, Billiton, which is a really nice little company, which I wrote about last year when I did the screen. But it's got a cyclical end market and it um, has to employ quite a lot of capital. Because of the structural steel that it um, that it makes, so it's um, yeah, but um, yeah, so in- interesting companies. We like dividend paying small caps. We do, <laughs> they're, 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 yeah. And, and private investors are in a good position when it comes to these sort of companies because no one else is looking at them. No one else is looking at them, and you know they're, they're kind of they're sort of under the radar. The big income managers because they're too small. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Should we talk power? Yes. I don't know what's been said. As I said, I've been trying to avoid politics. So I assume we've had the Labour manifesto today. Have they talked about energy? They they, they usually do. I mean, I, I believe they're touching it. Yes. I mean, they, they brought out a commitment back in sort of September, October. And really, the, the big thing in energy now is offshore wind. Um, we currently have a target where we're looking to have about 30 gigawatts of our energy coming from offshore wind. And uh, Labour announced that they're going to push that up to 52 gigawatts. And what they really want to do is they're saying... We need a lot more offshore wind farms, and we're going to have a public-private partnership where the state takes a um, majority stake in that. So we think that'll really sort of, they think that'll really boost the sector and uh, get us up to their target and and put the UK on the way to its kind of net zero emissions target. But I mean, as you say in your introduction, the the UK is doing pretty well already in terms of its energy mix. I mean, I mean we've had some amazing things this year. Coal has has pretty much disappeared from. From the grid, oh, it's five percent now. Yes, definitely. I mean, we're we're sort of undergoing an energy revolution right now, and, and it's been building for a little while. So, in terms of the electricity we we get from renewables, in, about five years ago, that was sort of just under twenty percent of our electricity came from renewables, and last year that had bumped up to a third. Um, and it's not just about kind of the the environmental concerns that are driving this anymore. It's become cheap enough now that this is really going to push forward in a big way. And you've got some projections saying that by about 2050, 87% of our electricity is going to come from renewables. It's, I mean, it's quite complicated, though. So, so there are some problems with renewables, which you address in the feature. Perhaps talk us through what, what they are. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, the economics of it are stacking up now. So it's become a lot cheaper. For example, there's something called the contract for difference scheme that the government runs. And that's kind of designed to boost investment in renewables. So when they first ran this scheme back in 2015... Um, offshore wind farms were being guaranteed a price of something like £117 per megawatt hour. And this is what they call the strike price, yeah, usually. Yeah, that's the strike price. And in the most recent auction, I think the results were released in September, that had dropped to about £39, which is actually below the wholesale price of electricity, which means that new offshore wind farms aren't going to have to be subsidised anymore. So the uh, founder of Bloomberg New Energy Finance, he described sort of these tipping points. So um, one of them is... Uh, where power from newly constructible renewable sources um, is cheaper than building new fossil fuel generation. 
The second one actually is where building new sources of renewable power becomes cheaper than the existing fossil fuels that you're running. And we're sort of moving towards that second point now where it's cheaper to sort of invest in new renewables than uh, run the existing sort of coal and gas assets that we have. So the question is then, can we just not simply shift towards 100% renewables? And that's kind of where the critics say, wait, hold on a second. We have this thing called intermittency. So you can't generate electricity from these renewable assets when the wind isn't blowing or the sun isn't shining. So you're still going to need some sort of balancing source of energy. And there's a lot of debate over what that comes from. I mean, some people are pushing for nuclear. But when you look at the price of that, I mean, Hinkley's strike price is £92.50. I mean, you've got EDF saying, let us build Hinkley and then let us build the next one that we want to do as well. And I'd rather they didn't because that's right near my house. But they- <laughs> there you go. I mean, aside from the safety concerns and, you know, whatever other concerns there are with nuclear, just the economics alone of it. I mean, their second one would only come down to about maybe £70. And that's still a lot higher than what you're seeing from renewable energy. Mm. I mean, if nuclear is sort of ruling itself out. We've been reliant on coal for a long while, but as you mentioned earlier, that's dropped down to about 5% of where electricity comes from now. And really what that's been shifted to instead is gas, because it's a much cleaner source of, you know, a way of getting electricity from fossil fuels. And, the, and these things, I, I guess it goes back to the intermittency point, the, the great, the beauty of a gas turbine is you can literally just fire it up when, uh, when you need to. That's the whole point as well. I mean, and, and the problem with intermittency as well is you can actually be getting too much power from these renewable sources and the way our grid is set up because it was built around sort of getting our energy from fossil fuels like coal and gas it's not set up for these renewables right now so when there's actually too much they have to switch off these renewable assets and they have to bring online the gas assets that we have so so i mean it it, it sounds like there's a lot of investment required um especially at the grid level i mean this is this is national grid which whose results you covered this week what i mean what have they said about about the future of energy and how they're going to adapt to this to this revolution that's taking place. I mean, they they so National Grid has something called the Electricity Systems Operator as part of what they do, and that's what actually controls the grid infrastructure. And they've said, yes, we need to change the grid, we need to adapt it for because they acknowledge that this renewables revolution is coming along, and as the UK moves towards its net zero target, more renewables are going to be part of our electricity feed. So they're planning on getting the grid ready for uh, renewables by about twenty twenty five they're saying we'll be able to take on, accommodate uh, what renewables are going to feed into the grid. That's quite, that's quite soon. I mean, it is, I mean, that's a big project to do in pretty much five years. I mean, it is quite soon. Um, but at the same time, National Grid is also investing in something interesting called interconnectors. So these are kind of underwater cables that connect the UK up to the grids of our neighbouring countries. So in terms of dealing with this intermittency problem as well, you can also then source your electricity from other countries to kind of smooth out uh, you know what you're getting or ship it out presumably if you're if you're generating too much at any given point yes but actually the uk is a net importer of electricity right now but also as as kind of europe decarbonizes electricity you're actually importing in renewable energy from them as well mm, mm. i mean it's absolutely fascinating where, where are we internet connecting to i think norway is uh one I you mean, mentioned in the piece uh, yeah to national grid is actually building the longest interconnection in the world right now from norway it's going from i think somewhere in northumberland so it's going to connect us in uh, norway's hydro assets and, and Norway is actually, I think, one of the uh, cleanest energy generating countries in the world right now. So we're going to be getting their hydro energy. Um, there's also, I think, a link to France. Um, National Grid at the beginning of this year, I think, is Nemo link con- connects to Belgium. Also, I think we've got one to Ireland as well. Mm. I've, I've actually heard talk of one to Iceland at some point as well, because they obviously have geothermal, which we don't have here. But yes, still perhaps a pipe dream. Sounds expensive. And how does this how does this affect the numbers of National Grid? It's a, it's a popular share. 
Yes, I mean, um, they're not actually, as far as I'm aware, they're not they're not making any profit off of it right now. I think by the mid-2020s, they're saying they want it to contribute, or they're aiming for it to contribute around £250 million pounds of EBITDA. Um, that's all the guidance they've given so far. It's part of their kind of their, their vent, national grid ventures arm is what they call it. I mean, if you're looking at the, what's going on with the rest of national grid right now, it's quite interesting what they do versus sort of other utilities perhaps that we cover because they kind of straddle both sides of the Atlantic. Um, and the whole point is, I mean, dep- I don't know how serious you take this threat of nationalization, but when it comes to national grid, the going theory is that, you know, kind of that US unit will help kind of offset any earnings pressure that would happen in the UK. But the national grid has got their own problems going on in, in the US right now. They're kind of engaged in this battle in the state of New York over a new gas pipeline. And they've kind of been served notice almost that um, if they if they don't uh, meet the, the, the governor's demands that they could have their license revoked. So the outcome of that's kind of uncertain right now. It sort of adds to a more uncertain picture. And the reason why you'd hold a stock like National Grid really is for its dividend. So we don't really like that earnings uncertainty and the free cash flow cover of the dividend isn't great right now, which I think is really why we have it on a hold right now. Mm. I mean, it is, it is a decent dividend yield, though. It it's, is decent, uh, but um, a I lot... would suggest jumping on that train at this point. It, it, it's absolutely fascinating. One, one thing we haven't mentioned in terms of intermittency is, is energy storage, and this, this potentially changes everything again. Precisely. So, I mean, the critics will... What, what's happening right now is, you know, it's intermittent. That's why you need these conventional power sources. But as you mentioned, there's something called energy storage, whether that be batteries or in some other form. And that technology is rapidly developing. So what happens then is, for example, if those renewable assets are uh, creating too much electricity for the grid to handle, it will then be stored there. And that energy can then be released at a later date when perhaps they aren't producing as much electricity. And so that then brings in the question, if we're relying on these conventional assets right now, like gas and to a lesser extent coal, how long is that going to go on for if energy storage suddenly comes along? And solves that intermittency problem. Yeah, are we close to solving it? Or I mean, there, there are there are ways you can invest in this. There are there are definitely companies investing quite heavily in this. Tesla is exa- a good example of of a company that's doing this. Yes, there's Tesla, and there's kind of a, a smaller little player as well called them. It's the Gresham House Energy Storage Fund. That's kind of doing it at a very small level. But I mean, if if you wanted to take a punt on energy storage, that would be a good one to go for. Um, it, it's not massive yet. But it's definitely it's definitely growing, and people, as you say, people are putting a lot of money into it. And it it's it doesn't seem like it's one of these fads because this if we are going to push forward with renewables, we need this technology to work. So you know, investment is going to pour into it, and this thing is going to grow. I mean, there are there are loads of uh, companies that you make companies and funds that you mentioned in this piece yes. uh, ways to to get to get access to to a lot of the the trends in energy. I mean, you've you've got examples of wind, how to invest in wind and how to invest in solar. And, uh, yes, what's, your, what's your pick of the bunch? With this whole thing, you can invest across the entire supply chain. For example, when it comes to wind, you can invest in, for example, Siemens is the one who makes actual turbines. Um, but the, kind of the consensus seems to be it's a bit more of a stable investment if you invest in the actual operational assets themselves. So if you want something kind of familiar, then SSE is really pushing into renewables. And they've openly said that they think renewables is going to be what underpins their future growth. If you perhaps wanted something that you know is slightly less familiar to a lot of people, there's a company called um, Orsted. So it's a Danish company that used to be their um, state-owned oil and natural gas group. And they're actually the biggest offshore wind player in this country. In the UK? Yes, oh, right. in the UK. They invest the uh, most in it. And currently they're developing what is the um, biggest offshore wind farm. But that's soon going to be taken over by um, an SSE joint venture project. 
So uh, they didn't keep that mantle for too long. I'm sure there'll be a bigger one at some point. Yeah, I mean, if, you know, if, if, certainly if Labour's targets are, uh, you know, ever ever have to be delivered. I mean, that's, I mean that's they're a... all trying to one-off each other right mm. now to get that, that title. But I mean, also took a little bit of a hit because they had to kind of lower their projections of, of uh, how much electricity they're going to be generating kind of based on uh, wind forecasts. Uh, one of the analysts who does a lot of coverage of them, um, RBC Capital Markets, they kind of say well, they think that reaction's a little bit overdone. So now could actually be a good time to dive into Orsted and it's going to see long-term growth because of, you know, the renewables push. I, I love the quote you got here that, that it's transitioned, quotes from a black to a green energy company. And this is, this is really fascinating because there are so many companies out there that, I mean, going back to a lot of the ESG stuff we've been, and environmental mm-hmm. investment stuff we've been discussing, a lot of companies that are on the investor's blacklist, as it were, could change. Yeah, no, I'm not. Orsted is one which um, those ESG funds kind of champion is kind of, like, you know, look, this is, you know, a great stock because it's done what Lucy's described. I mean, also an interesting aspect to the whole debate, or, you know, the whole kind of, you know, what's driving the investments themes is the kind of cost of capital and who's actually going to be investing in these um, uh, technologies. So more with more people keen to invest in renewables because of it being you know, the scene increasingly is the only game in town, really. It means it becomes cheaper to fund those projects and the return, and so the returns are more attractive, whereas the opposite's true of fossil fuels and coal has experienced that. Yeah. And perhaps we've, I mean, we've had this week news about the European Investment Bank not wanting to invest in any fossil fuels, which means that maybe gas is actually going, you know, or despite it being billed, um, as a, you know, the consensus having been is a transition technology and it's the fossil fuel, the good fossil fuel, is that may, maybe it's like, you know, there isn't a good fossil fuel soon in terms of um, finance, uh, you know, people financing these things. Yeah, is, yeah. I mean, they are, they, are, they are coming under pressure, kind of these oil and gas giants. I mean, they put a lot of money into betting that gas was going to be the next big fuel because of what's happening to coal. Well, Shell certainly did because mm. obviously they bought, they bought BG. Yes, precisely. Um, I mean, and now lots of these companies are trying to boost their kind of green credentials. So in terms of the joint venture I mentioned earlier with SSC, that's actually Equinor that's put money in there. So, I mean, they they are kind of slowly making that shift towards renewables because they see now that it wasn't just about the environmental concerns. It's now the economics of it. So they're going to have to make these changes. I I think that's a really interesting point. You know, the, the, the economics of this are what, what is making it work. Right. I mean, polit- yes, there is political pressure. And I don't, obviously, you have these great big, you know, political declarations about the, the sort of carbon free future. Yes. But it's the market that's going to get us there. Yes. I mean, I, I think that's what we we're waiting for, really, to give it that big push. I mean, you know, companies sort of paid a lot of lip service to it before, kind of kind of these, um, the green and, and the ESG, et cetera. But now kind of it's, it's lit that fire under them because, you know, the money's there now. Everything you seem to write about is environmental. You've had an amazing sector focus recently about plastic as well, which mm. I thought was... Uh... I know, there's such interesting trends. And, and before it was just kind of, you know, they, they were just sort of interesting. But now, you know, they're financially interesting. So a lot of companies are putting money into it and there's a lot of growth there as well. Mm. Oh, it's a really, really fascinating I feature. Mean, yeah. No, I mean, one, one of the bits I, I love, I, I love this feature, one of the bits I, um, which really stood out there also is um, when you talk about the government's aim to have the strike price for offshore wind at 100... Um, pounds uh per megawatt hour by 2020 and it's in fact come down to as you said 30 39, 39 pounds, pounds. it just shows the progress that we've made and you think if we've come that way in such a short time where are we heading next yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's absolutely extraordinary and, and as i say you know it's it's the market that seems to be getting us there 
and and this is the, the thing I often think about. You know, when when we look at the political backdrop, and these, as you say, these great big these great big declarations, and and it's sort of uh, the the, the one upmanship that we're seeing in manifestos about green. It's actually it's actually companies who are doing this now, and, and it's investors' yeah. money that is making this happen. I mean, also and also, if if you were kind of making a bet back in twenty twelve, you would say we need nuclear and we need um, gas. I wouldn't have because I knew they were going to do. You weren't living by where they're going to build. But, but, uh, but I mean, you just can't judge innovation. You know, you can't. You can't. I mean, you, you can't. Um, but you can. You can't forecast innova- innovation. Nuclear is a messy technology. I mean, you know, forget, oh, yeah, but, but yeah. forget Fukushima or you know or, or Chernobyl, which is an amazing series on Sky. Actually, <laughs> if you've uh, if you've happened to watch that, but it's just a messy technology. It's, it's complicated and expensive and, and and dangerous if you don't get it right. And also, if you think about kind of technological innovation, I mean, you, you look at things like renewables, and it's moving very quickly. And then you look at how long it takes to actually build a nuclear power plant. By the time that's finished, mm. nuclear technology itself has already moved on and that plant is out of date. Yeah, I, I, I find it absolutely fascinating. Obviously, there's a, a massive, massive political white elephant in, in that particular room, which is, which is the fact that it's China that's involved in a lot of these projects as well. Yeah. And then geopolitics comes into play and, and obviously massive security concerns around these things. Um, okay. So, yeah, I, I, I like wind. And I do, like, I do like seeing the old turbines going around in the distance. Uh, I, I, mean, think they, I think they're rather beautiful. In terms of kind of the investment angle as well, some... I think UK investors can take a lot of comfort from the fact that the UK is actually the leader in the world with this. We're mm. decarbonizing faster than any country in the world. So, I mean, it's a good place for these type of investments. I, I, yeah, absolutely. Good old Britain. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that, uh, that's, I mean, that's, it's so fascinating. And, and thank you for your work on this feature. I think it's, it's, it's really brilliant. And uh, obviously, I'd advise you all to... Uh, to pick up the magazine as soon as you stop listening to us and, uh, and go and have a listen. Um, what else have you been writing about this week, Lucia? I know we've had some interesting results. Speedy hire. Speedy Before hire. we sign off, speedy hire, because you tipped this recently. I did tip it recently. I actually really like this company. I mean, it's sort of bucking the trend, so everyone's a bit down on construction right now. There's kind of all this talk of the construction slowdown. What speedy hire has been doing to kind of stave this off is it's been making a big push into kind of the smaller medium enterprises. So what they're finding is that kind of segment of the market is still growing. So they've seen a little bit of a slowdown at the top, but it's this this bottom level that's really pushing growth. And they're kind of doing some interesting things in terms of investing in AI as well and making themselves a lot more efficient. AI. That's yes. never something I expected to hear about in, in, in relation to equipment hire. I know. It seems like everyone kind of mentions AI and kind of smart technology, etc. But in terms of speedy hire, what they're using it for is just simply to make sure that they have the right stock in the right place at the right time. Mm. Actually, uh, National Good are using AI and grid management as well. It's, it's, yes. It's really quite interesting. I mean, everything's though. going smart these days. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so we still like this one, I take it, after the results this week? Yes, still like it. Everything's looking good. Excellent. Well, where else have we had this week? Have you noticed anything, uh, anything popped across your radar this week, Algie, that's, uh, that you thought, oh, that's quite interesting? Airlines uh, quite well, interesting this week. Yeah, yeah. We've had um, we had EasyJet and um, and Wiz, which is doing well Wiz. as well. Yeah. And um, EasyJet's yeah, tip of the year. It is, yeah. I mean, they've they've had a they've come back remarkably strongly over the last uh, quarter. Share, the, the kind of share prices in that sector have they've um, flown. Why? I mean, it's well, a, it's, I mean, these numbers were not great in them in and of themselves. What I mean, what's happening here? And Wiz Wiz is struggling with aircraft orders, and we've had obviously the whole Boeing thing in the background. Well, um, it's just it's a weird thing. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, also, I mean, it's it's a funny industry, though, airlines, because always when when um, when times are tough, 
that's often when the share when the share prices are doing well because it's all about you know capacity how many planes are in the air if there aren't enough then you can put up seat prices if they're you know if they're too many which you know which is when times are good people are putting too many planes up then then it's bad your your yield goes down and you know it's it's kind of it's a really hard business to manage and then you have um, the great unknown of um, the fuel price as well. So, so it's almost like you should invest in air, airlines counter-cyclically. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, when, when you know, you, you, you watch, I mean, you know, classically, you watch for um, a big carrier to go under. And then that's, you know, that's, that's the time to buy, essentially, because, you know, you know, coming down the line is going to be a, a lack of capacity. Although they, they normally buy each other, they buy the assets. Indeed, stock market, stock market. It's a funny old game. <laughs> a funny old game. Um, yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Algie, and thank you, Nilusia. Um, really fascinating stuff. It's been it's been a really busy week. The results. Yes, they really wrapped. Oh my up. goodness. Oh my goodness. You've been how long have you been here with us now? Since since March. Since March. Have you did you hit the first result season earlier in the year? You had the summer result season. Yes, so you, you've had yeah. You get used to it after a while. A thousand yards there starts to develop during results season. It's, uh, but yeah, it's, I think it's going to be busy next week as well. But we've got a, about 13, 14 pages of results this week. Biggies as well. Um, what else we got? Uh, Alex J has put together a really interesting piece uh, in the sector focus on the motorsport industry, which you don't really think about when you think about stock markets. But get, actually, there's a green angle here as well. It's uh, electric cars. Yes, and I think actually a lot of the kind of technology is kind of starting off in kind of those this formula one developments as well before it makes it onto like the commercial cars that we actually drive yeah i mean F- f1 was always funny a lot of that stuff didn't make it into road cars but but actually i think it's formula e it's the electric side of things that that's actually has much more relevance to uh to, to, to the to the road car industry and i i, I you know it's, it's growing quickly that sport yes it's really 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 fascinating uh what else have we got michael taylor is back this week looking at level two which i know a lot of readers use uh when they're when they're trading the markets my god it's complicated (laughs) (laughs) glad i don't do this full time unlike michael lots in the personal finance fund section which they will talk about on their podcast tomorrow we've looked at, at politics a little bit more this week than i would generally like mainly because of british telecom and uh, Labour's plans there to offer free broadband to everyone, which Phil and I spoke about last week. And uh, yeah, Chris Dillow's looked at it as well, as has uh, Paul Jackson in his No Free Lunch column. Can't stay away from politics. I really, really, <laughs> really, really wish I could. <laughs> and I must go and read the manifesto. Thank you, Nilushi. Thank you, uh, Algie. And, and thank you all for listening. Uh, pick up the magazine and all good news agents. Profit from the energy revolution. How investors can navigate the UK's transition to renewable energy, which is happening very quickly. Thank you. See you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.